You're listening to Game Like Training Radio, powered by the Golf Science Lab, where we talk all about how to learn and train more effectively. I'm one of your hosts, Cordy Walker. And I'm your co-host, Matthew Cook. And today we are talking to Dr. Paul Shemp. Paul is an incredible guy. He, he worked with lots of different athletes and different coaching organizations. And he is an expert on expertise. So he shows us some key principles to becoming a better coach. And throughout this conversation, he, he talks about a lot of research, gives a lot of concrete examples and, and ideas and how this might look. And he's he's really, really an expert at what good teaching looks like, especially in the golf industry. He's He's been involved with this for years. So whether you are a coach listening to this or you're somebody that is looking to find a coach or you work with a coach and kind of want to see how they're doing or if you should look for someone different, this would be uh, a good episode to listen into then. Yeah. And uh, the other thing, if you are a coach listening to this, we uh, Matt put together kind of his five pieces of research to check out on learning. This is a resource that you can pick up for free. If you go to golfsciencelab.com slash five, uh, you can download that and, and go through that. That was a great little resource, Matt. Thanks for, thanks for putting it together. Ah, it was fun. Really fun. Lots of good stuff in that. There is. Well, let's get to this with Dr. Paul Shemp. We are here with Dr. Paul Shemp, really excited uh, about this conversation, looking at what makes a good golf instructor, golf coach actually good. He's been around some of the best. He studies this uh, and it's going to help us figure this out. Dr. Paul, how's it going? Going well. How about with you? Good. So if people don't know you, like, could you give us a quick 30 second kind of background um, on yourself and your work? Mm hmm. My day job is I'm a professor at the University of Georgia, and I direct a research laboratory, the Sport Instruction Research Lab, and we study elite level golf or uh, elite level sport instructors and elite level coaches. Normally, that's people who are professionals, Division One coaches, uh, national team coaches, and so forth. And then we use that research. Sometimes we uh, apply that in a practical context uh, in golf specifically. We used to help Golf Digest and Golf Magazine with their top teachers lists. And then uh, I used to be the performance coach for the Swedish Golf Federation for a number of years. So I used to help design some of the training programs for the uh, male and female Swedish golfers. And in a nutshell, that's, that's my bio. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for joining us, Paul. I, I appreciate your time coming on. I have an anecdote here. I was just in uh, at a PGA section la the, earlier this week, and there's someone from... Uh, that had worked in Sweden there and was just talking about how their their coaching and their programs are just unreal and you can't uh, you can't beat them. So I'm sure you had a hand in that. So uh, just wanted to pass on the good words. It's uh, it's all around about that program. Thank you. But let's kick us off talking about like what makes a good coach. And I think this is interesting for both golf coaches and golfers as well. Like if I'm actually working with someone's good. Before we get into that, even golf coach, golf instructor. Are those the same words to you or do they mean something different or what, what should we use for this conversation? Uh, we can use either. Uh, and I don't really debate it. Uh, everybody seems to have a difference of opinion, but here, here's mine. A golf coach to me is somebody that actually coaches an athlete who's trying to be a highly competitive golfer. And so that coach has to be knowledgeable, not only of their technique, but their training principles, their fitness levels, their nutrition. They need to discuss some sports psychology and so forth. 
where an instructor, and by the way, I also think a great coach needs to be a great teacher, but an instructor generally is more of the format of, I'll come to you for a lesson, you give me the information you think I need, maybe some activities, and you try to help improve my game. And if you're a good uh, teacher and I'm a good student, we'll probably see each other on a fairly regular basis and, and make progressive improvements. Gotcha. So when we talk about, you know, kind of being in a good golf instructor, I, I guess let's start there because that's what the industry is familiar with is, is golf instructors. And, and you've spent a lot of time with golf instructors, obviously with that, and then helping to come up with some of those lists and stuff. What are some of the, the traits? What are some of these non-negotiables that you think apply to expert kind of golf instructors? I think the first one in um, that I would put at the top of the list is developing relationships with players. And I, and I really got, I, this is an idea I'm stealing from Butch Harmon. A number of years ago, I helped Golf Magazine with their top 100 golf instructor list. And we'd send a survey out to people that we thought should be on the list. And Butch obviously was one of them. And one of the questions was, what is your teaching philosophy? And Butch wrote, and I can still picture it in these, these bold block letters, I do not teach golf. Right away, I was thinking, okay, well, you're not getting on this list, buddy. And then I read the second sentence. It said, I teach people. And then I really got it with the third sentence, which was, I teach people to play golf. And I think that embodies what great coaches and also great teachers really do, because it's really not about the game. It's not about the sport. It's not about the swing. It's really about the person and trying to develop them in a way that they're going to gain some satisfaction from the sport. And I don't really care if that is applying to a, a child beginner or it applies to a PGA Tour pro. Gaining satisfaction and feeling successful in the sport is really what a great teacher tries to help you do. And that begins with a good relationship. Let me ask you real quick, what would be an example of like a positive and a negative uh, instance of that? Anything pop to mind? You mean in terms of relationship with a player? Yeah. Like what would be an example of, of, a, of a coach uh, or instructor, I should say, building a, you know, like a good relationship like that or versus one that's not so much more transactional? I, I mean, is, do you have any stories or any anecdotes along those lines? Sure. I think the first one would be positive relationships. You get to know the person outside of golf. What other activities does he or she like to do? Do they have favorite teams or music that they like to listen to? And so you can connect with them on a, on a really human level. When I used to work with the, uh, the Swedish golf pros, I used to know their wives. Uh, I used primarily worked with the men. I used to know their wives and their kids, uh, in some cases their parents. I knew where they came from, what kind of music they liked. Interestingly enough, what kind of candy light they liked, because I used to use that as a reward when they did something well. And so I tried to establish a relationship just beyond what happens on a golf course or on a lesson tee. It could also go south on you if really what you're, what you're focused on is your player's improvement or your player's success as a, as a golfer and not as a person. I remember a number of years ago watching on the Golf Channel, there was a very well-known golf professional working with a former athlete. And he was not, this athlete was not a golfer. But this uh, golf instructor was trying to help him. Well, this golf instructor was very, very mechanically oriented. The problem that the golfer had was more of a mental problem. And I don't mean that in an illness sort of way. The golfer had hit a golf shot and hit somebody in the audience uh, because he was a famous athlete. And, and consequently, it made his, his game suffer. 
And the golf instructor never really got to the heart of what the problem was. And finally, after a few episodes, said to the golfer, you're just not trying hard enough. And I thought that golf instructor missed the story entirely. And again, I think it was because this guy was only focused on mechanics. And there's the old saying is that if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think that's what was happening here. I love that you said relationships is number one, because I also find that with my students right now, I, I could tell you all of the names, all of the, the, the parents' names, their brothers and or sisters' names, and I very much have a relationship with my students and the whole family. There's been some students that, you know, whether this is right or wrong, but some students' parents are, have gotten so well with me that I've had uh, dinner with uh, uh, one person's father, and, you know, we've talked about not just golf, you know, not specifically that, that he really wants his son to play, play professional golf, but just about their life in general. So very much, I think relationships is, is yeah, is completely key. I, I once got told, I know those coaches have their own opinions on this, but I once got told that you should never let uh, what your students sort of, you know, behind the curtain, you know, you should never let a student get too close. Uh, and I've never really believed in that because, you know, the closer you are with your student, respectfully, the quicker you can get to that, you know, that real cause of something. It might not be that the club is coming a little bit too much from the inside. It might be that the this child just had a, you know, a real bad argument with his mum at home. You know, it could be something completely different. So would you say that, you know, relationships being number one, you should try to get on board of all aspects of your students, not just... I'm the putting coach and I don't want to look at anything else except your putting mechanics. I don't believe that. What do you think? I also agree with you. Now, there may be an instance if you're working with a player who's, who's at an elite level, let's say a, a, um, a pro playing on a competitive tour, and I might not feel that I have as much knowledge about putting as I should, and I could recommend, uh, and I'm going to use Todd Sones as an example, who I think is a superb putting, uh, putting coach, or teacher, or um, Mike Shanahan is another one. And so I might suggest, why don't you go spend a little time with Mike or with Todd and see if you can improve your putting that way. So I think getting to know the player and feeling comfortable with them and being mutually committed to their success is going to allow you to open up on a more human level, but it's also going to allow you to solve the real problems, as you just mentioned, that the golfer is challenged with. So what would be a sign if a golfer is listening to this, right? Or you were to talk to a golfer, what would be a sign that they should leave their current instructor, right? Like their instructor probably isn't the best for them. <laughs> uh, well, one, <laughs> one, if they leave the lesson feeling confused or if they leave the lesson feeling abused, meaning, <laughs> meaning that uh, I just got beaten up for 45 minutes. Now, sometimes we need that. Uh, but in most cases, no, we want to leave feeling positive. We want to feel like we got something useful out of the lesson. And then finally, connected to the relationship, we want to leave feeling like this person really does care about us and, and uh, the success of our game. And I don't, I mean, you could take that as deep as you want or as light as you want, but at least they're committed to me getting better. And if, if a teacher or a student doesn't feel that way, it, it really is time for another instructor. Yeah. yeah. There's that saying, isn't there, that, that no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Oh, I think that's a great, that's a great <laughs> book. Yep, I agree. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's it's interesting in, in this golf world because we obviously bring in finances because typically you're paying a golf instructor, right, to to be there with them in, in that role. How does that affect in, instruction, right? I think a lot of coaches, you know, whether it's a basketball coach or football coach, it's not so like an hour of time, $100, see you later. How does that influence of bringing money in affect the performance of an instructor or something like that? Any Any thoughts on that? That's an interesting question. I'm going to come at it a slightly different way. I think the the traditional one-on-one lesson is, is not good for the student or for the teacher. And I'll tell you why. Let's say I come to you for a lesson and you're going to charge me, I'm just going to make up a figure, you're going to charge me $100 for an hour. Well, you know what? If I came with a good friend of mine or a spouse or whatever, you could charge us each $75 an hour. That's less than 100 and I'm all right with that. And then I can't be listening to you all the time. So I need to practice and you could be teaching the other person. And so I would also be able to talk to that person about what they're learning. We generally learn better in groups than in solitary uh, environments. And so I would like to see the structure of a golf lesson include two or three people. We do it in junior programs and I think it's highly effective. It's more fun and we're also able to see some progress being made. Let me just make one more point about that. Most people, when they want to observe a model for a sports skill, are better off observing people who are more similar than they to them in terms of their um, performance. For example, I need right now I'm a, a eight handicapper. I would learn better if I had people who were like six, seven eight handicappers or maybe 10 handicappers uh, around me because then I could watch how they do it. I could relate to that information. If I watched a pro who is a scratch player, I'm thinking to myself, I'll never be able to be that good. I'm not that athletically gifted. I'm not that strong. I don't have that level of flexibility. And so, again, group lessons, I think, are really kind of a a superior way of going about learning golf and and also teaching golf. So I, I strayed a little bit from your your question, but your question really brought that thought into my head. I'm on the same boat, Paul. You know, the traditional one-on-one lesson, I hate it. Yeah. Um, I, I really I really don't like it. I'd rather work with a, for example, on a Thursday evening, I have a, a group of girls, four girls, uh, relatively similar in ability. ability. There's, yeah. a, there's one girl that's probably better than the others in the short game and then there's another girl that hits it so far but she's not quite as good as the rest in the her short game but they they all complement each other in training so you know i can i can work on a general theme but then mm-hmm. individually go to each one whilst they compete in small groups and and practice together it, it's like that individual experience mm-hmm. but within that team environment i think it's incredibly important but here's something I'd love to know. When you work with the national team, obviously they're in groups, right? They're having, they're training in groups. How should I go about training in groups, but also bringing in maybe some other coaches that are that I feel are better in the mental, uh, psychological side than I am? And so you know, and another professional that's maybe a little bit more uh, equipped with knowledge for knowledge in the fitness aspect of it. Like at what level does a should a golfer or what age should a golfer be seeing multiple people that might specialize in those different areas? I think when they're just about to get into the competitive environment on a full-time basis, and that can even be an amateur, uh, you know, somebody who wants to play in many tournaments on a competitive level. 
other than that, I, I really think it's too many voices uh, yeah. that in the um, in the player's head, and they're usually better off just with one. Again, when we worked with the national team, some of our players had other instructors that we went they went to, and we would talk with those instructors to try to support what those instructors were doing. We never tried to um, give additional information. It was just to support because if one of our players was going to you because they were trying to improve their swing or their short game, it would be not in their best interest if we were giving them other information. So I, I think when they get to a competitive level, that's good. Um, for most recreational golfers, they really don't need to hear too many voices, especially if somebody is a certified PGA professional from you know PGA of America, LPGA, GB&I. I don't know if you went through their program. They've got a yeah, very good Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was really good. I, I agree with you. Yep. I, I think Phil Potts and, and uh, David Colcliffe do a great job with them. So the you have a very comprehensive education. So I think for the average golfer, just a certified instructor is, is really all they need. And and avoid the magazines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. No, I agree. I, I, yeah, I think the, the PGA did a really good job of touching on multiple subjects with me yeah. i mean there's there is one that i prefer more than others it's more like the the motor learning neuroscience psychological i love that aspect of it but i got a good education in all the others and always try to keep up with the others you know that with ball flight laws and about the body and and the the, the physics the, the anatomy is anatomy and physiology of the body parts i still try to keep up with it because uh, i think it's important but i i can't become an expert in all of all of them i can only no. do you have some strengths and you have some limitations and that's why i say you know when a player is ready to get seriously competitive and that could be in the united states at a high school level even that's when if you have something that you don't think you're strong in and you know someone who might be a better fit for this player i i have no hesitancy to refer him at that point but prior to that no nah, i don't think so so what else do we have we, we talked about that that first uh story about Butch Harmon, building relationships, good communication. Uh, what else are some of like these traits that, that you've seen of really high quality golf instructors? Uh, one would be the knowledge of the game. And, and I do mean the game. I don't mean the golf swing. One of the major drawbacks to me in most golf instruction in the United States is they don't teach golf. They teach a golf swing. And let me give you an example. If you ever read the book, The Five Fundamentals of Golf by Ben Hogan, a very well written, great illustrations, but you could read that book from cover to cover and have no clue that the idea of golf is to put a ball in a hole. <laughs> and that's the five fundamentals of golf. So I think we've gotten way too concerned about things like grip, stance, alignment, and, uh, you know, uh, X factors and so forth. And I, I just think they've complicated it way beyond what it needs to be. For most golfers, even on the PGA Tour, what you really need to be able to do is hit the ball relatively consistently. Then you can play the game. And, um, you know, yes, technique will help, but it's certainly not all of the game. And I see so many players go out there, their technique is okay. But really where they're scoring, uh, where the score goes up is because they don't know how to manage their game. They don't know how to manage the course. They're taking shots they shouldn't be taking. You know, they tee off every, every uh, par four with a driver. And so now they're in the woods looking for balls or it's in the water or, you know, someplace that it doesn't need to be. 
And so I think if we taught golfers to play smarter, if we taught golfers the rules, they would be far more ahead than if we're just simply concentrating on the statistics that TrackMan spits out. That's awesome. I mean, I was having a conversation not too long ago with somebody, and for some reason, it just came into my head playing chess. Like, well, if you want to learn how to play chess, you probably, you know, you pull the chess thing out of the box and then you set it up. But first you need to know where all the things go. And then you need to know the rules of it. And then I was pull- and I was just kept thinking about different board games. And what do you do? You, you read the rules of how you play it. And ultimately, yeah. if you think of golf, yeah, the, this little white ball, it has to go from this here, this tee box, which you're not allowed to be in front of the line. And you can go up to X amount of clubs, two clubs back. And you've got to go from here to the hole that is over there. Like th- that, that's the game, yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many shots could golfers save just from knowing that, you know, out that white stake over there, those white stakes, that's out of bounds. So that could cost you three shots. Yeah. So you probably want to go over there with this mm-hmm. seven iron rather than this driver to begin with. Right. You know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You're right. I mean, how many average golfers know the difference between a yellow stake and a red stake? Oh, yeah, that would be an interesting one to know. Probably not many would know yeah. the difference. And, they, and so they don't really know what to do with the ball. In fact, they don't even know how to factor that into the next shot they take. So, yes, I agree that knowledge of golf and being able to teach the sport. Now, with that said, again, technique is important. But, you know, most golfers can't change their technique after a certain age. Normally, that's late 20s. And so I, w- I look at, for example, I, for years, Tiger Woods was constantly trying to change his swing, and I think it made him worse uh, because he, it was impossible to do after a certain age. Uh, the body, just the myelination that helps you to learn these motor skills is no longer available. Uh, for many people, it would be like trying to learn a bicycle, uh, ride a bicycle at the age of 50. You can't do it. You got to do it at the age of five. And so I think youth programs are important, but as people get older, we have to teach them to manage the game they have rather than trying to make them hit a ball like uh, Ricky Fowler hits it. So we have good instructors have a, uh, have a focus on playing the game and not yes. just swing technique. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that, you know, if a golfer's listening to this and, and they look on that, that uh, 70% of them might say, yeah, that's the case. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I, I would agree. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Now, you know, n- knowing that I said this, I know I'm going to get some responses. I mean, Michael Breed is a dear friend of mine, and I think he has a fabulous show. But you know, he's, <laughs> not, he's constantly spitting out information about um, you know changing the swing, and that's what people want to hear. And if you pick yeah. up a golf magazine or Golf Digest. Again, the instruction articles are what sells those magazines because everybody's looking for a quick tip to get a better swing. So in part, I I can't entirely blame the golf instructors because I think they're giving the students what the students are asking for. And that's, you know, give me a better swing or let me hit the ball further. If you watch most golfers on a practice range, they're going to be, you know, driver in their hand most of the time. Very few of them are ever going to pick up their putter, walk over to the putting green. (laughs) <laughs> and and putting exercises. I mean, both you gentlemen know where the scores are made in, in the game of golf. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. You got a third one for us, Paul? Kind of third trait that, that we can hit on here? Yeah. First, we, uh, knowledge. You got to have knowledge of your players. That was the first one we mentioned. Then you have to have knowledge of your game. And then the third one is you have to have knowledge of teaching or knowledge of coaching. 
And what I mean by that is that you have to have different modes of communication, for example. The poor coaches will give a student, let's say in a 45-minute lesson, a lot of information, but they'll usually do it one way. I'll explain it or they'll do it two ways. I'll explain it and I'll demonstrate it. But the great coaches and the great teachers, they'll only give you one or two pieces of information, but they'll give it to you in about 20 different ways. They'll explain it. They'll demonstrate it. They'll have you practice it. Then they'll have you, the, the student, tell me what you just did. So the student articulates it. Ask the student a question. How did that feel? What did you think you did differently? So now the student's thinking about it. How about a videotape? Let's watch this golfer. Now let's watch you on a videotape. And here's what I mean by using videotape. Let's say you came to me for a lesson. I was going to videotape you, which I probably wouldn't do. But let's say I did. We'd sit down. I turn the video on. Now, most golf instructors are going to start telling you what they're thinking, and the student's not listening. The student's saying things like, geez, I really look fat. I got to lose some weight. Uh, <laughs> um, but here's, here's a trick, uh, and this is knowledge of, of coaching, if you will. You sit down. You're my student, and I ask you, okay, tell me what you see. Tell me what you think looks good to you. Now we're on the same page. Now we can work together. Now we have a shared knowledge of what we're happy. That's good coaching. So knowledge of coaching. So I think multiple ways of conveying the most important information is what is really critical. Now, the, the great golf instructors don't try to cure symptoms. They try to cure the cause. And so they're very good at identifying what one thing we need to change that will make a big difference in your, in your game. And so, uh, again, that's knowledge of coaching, knowledge of teaching. Love that. I, I think that's one of the hardest things to do as a coach is to choose the right thing to focus on and, and find that cause versus just treating a symptom. That's, that is gold. You agree that with that, Matt? Oh, I could not agree more. There's a really great coach not too far from where I am over at a golf club called Bridge Mill, a guy called Chad Phillips. And I remember watching him give a couple of lessons to some students and he videoed the swing and then he put it up on the screen. And before he said anything, he asked the student what, what she thought. So what, what do you think? What do you, what do you see? And that was, um, how deep he went with questions, but in a really friendly sort of informal chat way was incredible to, see what the student thought they saw in comparison to what myself, even though I was just on the side watching what myself and, and this other coach saw, it, it was completely different. And so then it was the questions that drove the student and, and the coaches to the, to the same outcome to, to work on these uh, next few drills that, so everyone was on the same page, but initially the student was just way off the mark for what they were seeing. So it's, and I, I tried to do that with any time I video my students, I always ask them, what do you see? What do you think? And it's oh, incredible great. what they pull out of the bag sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. And you know, as a coach or a teacher, now you understand what they're thinking. Yeah. And think about the number of times we teach students and we just assume they're listening to us, that they understand what we say. But you know, most students won't tell you that they don't understand the information and the reason they don't it's because they have to admit 
I'm, I'm not that smart. I didn't hear what you said, or I didn't understand what you said. And most students won't do that. So they have to be asked the questions yeah. in order to talk. And, and that's a perfect way to do it with the video. What do you see? And, and I think that's, yeah, that's excellent. Is that a thing of like self-discovery for student? Is that a thing of getting them more just engaged in thinking? Like what, what is the, I guess, the underlying reason for that? Because it's really when a golf instructor and a player come together, the bottom line is the student's learning, which means what's going on in the student's head and then what's going on in the student's body. And if, if, you, if you're focused on your teaching, you know, what am I going to say and what am I going to do? You're not really focused on the student's learning. You're not, under, you're not focused on what their comprehensions are. And I just don't think the, the lesson is going to be nearly as effective. You might get something through, but it's not going to be nearly as strong. So, again, it's the difference between focus on learning or focused on teaching. And most teachers are focused on their teaching, not the students' learning. I guess they're more often than not looking to be understood rather than trying to understand what, where the student's at. There you go. Here, and- here's another way to think of it, Matt. If, if I was going to call one of your students, let's say one that you gave a lesson today, I'm going to call them in two weeks, two weeks from this lesson. What do you want them to tell me that they learned today? Yeah. And if, if you can tell me that and that student says that, I know you were a good teacher. But so many times... You know, and we actually did a study like that, and we found most of the students couldn't remember anything the teachers said, with one exception. They could remember the metaphors that were used. But other than that, they couldn't remember anything. When they looked at the video, they couldn't remember what, what, what the teacher pointed out on the video. Interesting. Some metaphors. Huh? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. You know this, a lot of golf is about how you feel. And so if you could teach with metaphors, you know, like the classic one about the, how tight do I grip it, like a tube of toothpaste with the top off pointing towards your belly button, you know, don't squeeze it so hard you're going to cover yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, let the dog wag the tail. The tail doesn't there. wag the dog, that type of thing. <laughs> I, I think that what you mentioned as well, Paul, with asking the student to relay back to you. Like sometimes when I'm working with some of the youngsters, I, I ask them to teach me what I just taught them. And yeah. often they're completely off the mark. And I'm like, wow, I thought I thought I really got it through to them. I guess yeah. not. So then there's, they're then saying things back to me. And then it's me going into further questioning to get them around to what I was trying to accomplish. And then at the end of it, you understand what they know and they understand what they're supposed to know to help their game. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Maybe let's wrap with, uh, with this question is, um, what are you most interested in right now? Like, are are you have any research in the works or what kind of topics are you focused on in this conversation around expert coaches? Three things that we're getting into. One is mentoring and you heard the presentation. Uh, we're still doing that. The other one is decision-making and that has more to do with with coaches and how they go about making decisions while they're teaching. But the one that we're specifically focused on golf is what technology is currently being used in golf instruction? And the most important question, and why is that being used? And I'll tell you one of the reasons that that question is being asked is because uh, a study that we did a couple of years ago, we wanted to know you know, how they communicated, how teachers communicated with their students, golf instructors. And a lot of it had to do with the video. 
And so we asked them, why do you use video? And they said, well, that's expected. When my students show up, they're, ex they're expecting that I'm going to videotape them because that's what all golf instructors do. I said, do you think it's the best way to teach? Not necessarily, but the students expect it. So oftentimes, and it's not just in golf, but teachers and coaches will adopt technology because they think they're supposed to. They think they're supposed to have this. It's kind of like having the, new, the newest iPhone. You know, I'm not really a good instructor if I don't have, you know, this kind of a launch monitor, for example, or a simulator. And so we really do want to understand why people are adopting technology and if it is making a difference in teaching. I think that's awesome. I mean, with so many people using technology these days, typically it's being used as, as like a measurement and assessment tool at this point. And then it just stays there. And so there's, you know, getting people to train effectively with technology is going to be super important as we go forward because I, it's not going anywhere and it's it's a super no. useful tool so how do you use it best right super important well i can't wait where are you guys at in that process of uh, of working on that well we uh we've gone through one round where we um surveyed uh 30 top uh, level golf instructors people who had been on golf magazines top 100 list um master professionals in the pga a few other people and we came up with a list of technology they're using. And just this afternoon, just before we got onto this phone call, we've crafted that into a questionnaire to send out to PGA members. And we have the support of the PGA of America for this to ask them what they're using, how often they use it and why they use it. And so that's a study that is currently going on right now. That's going to be interesting to find out what comes back from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's that? What's our timeline like on that? So we can follow back up to find the answers. Uh, well, we just sent out the um, what we call a pilot study because before we're thinking uh, this is going to go to about 20,000 golf instructors. And so before we do that, we have to make sure the questionnaire is right. In other <laughs> words, how long does it take you to complete it? We're shooting for about 12 minutes. If it's too long, people won't fill it out. Secondly, questions clear. Do you understand really what we're asking? And then third, is it in a format where, you, for example, if you do it on an iPhone, is it gonna, can you complete it on an iPhone or a tablet or a computer? And so those are the three things we need right now. That just went out this afternoon to um, 30 golf instructors. And we, when we get that information back, within a week or two, we'll, we'll send it out to about 20,000 PGA members. Cool. Now, how long will it take us to analyze the data? Um, you know, probably about two, three months and, and we'll have something by then. Oh, nice. So this is going to be pretty quick then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you know there's another golf science uh, conference in Vancouver next year? I was going to mention, I'm on the organizing committee actually. And I oh. was going to say, is this something that's good? We're going to be here and there. So yes, yes. Nice, mm -hmm. nice, nice. That will be good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a kind of a call to action, I have a call to action then. If you, I, we've been talking with a bunch of golf professionals lately, and if you're interested in this stuff, to partner up with someone like yourself, Paul, and to have folks do more research for the Congress, I think it'd be really cool to get you know more average instructors getting involved with some some research and seeing what they can do to work with work with folks. So that's my kind of out to everyone listening. If you're interested in the stuff, see if you can make something happen for the 2018 scientific congress because that would be awesome yes i i completely agree with that yeah the more we learn the better we can serve our players and students right for sure mm -hmm. matt you doing something <laughs> i am doing something with len hill oh, really? yeah nice mm -hmm. that will be awesome well, let, let's 
Let's see if we can present that. There you go. That'd be cool. Well, thanks so much, Paul. This was, this was super fun to chat with you. Good to hear about some of your work and, and some of your, your thoughts. Uh, if people want to learn more, check out what you're up to. Uh, any places they should go to do that? Well, I do have a website, performancemattersinc.com. They can go there or um, they can just email me at pshemp at uga.edu or um, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. That's another way to get in touch with me. Perfect. And I know I follow you on Twitter as well. And you're pretty, you're an avid tweeter. So people can follow along, uh, follow along there. Well, thanks so much. It's been fun. All right. Well, listen, have a great weekend. I enjoyed talking with you, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot for your time, Paul. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening to Game Like Training Radio, powered by the Golf Science Lab. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Paul Shemp. If you're a golf coach, make sure to pick up that resource we mentioned at the top of the show, the five pieces of research that every golf coach needs to know about. That is linked up on the article that goes along with this episode on the golfsciencelab.com website. Make sure to pick that up. Subscribe to the show in iTunes and stay tuned as we'll have another new episode for you next week.